You are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget is in the Grotto Pod. And if it sounds like I'm talking quickly, it's because our guest would like to be in the Grotto Pod because he came early. But we can't let him in. No. Our guest this week is Frank Portman, author Yay. of three YA novels, uh, King Dork, 2006, Andromeda Klein, 2009, King Dork, approximately 2014. Now. Good titles. There's a twist. Yeah. The last album comes with an album. I gave it away. The last book (laughs) comes with an accompanying record album. Record vinyl. uh, Vinyl and CD and files, I believe, that you get if you buy the books. Right, I saw that. The twist is that before he was Frank Portman, YA author, he was Dr. Frank. Dr. Frank. Founder and songwriter and lead singer of the Mr. T Experience. Yeah! uh, Berkeley... Well, institution. You, institution. I was going to say post-punk because I'm an idiot, but actually... Uh, I don't think you're an idiot Punk, pop, I punk. I think pop-punk is what I would call it. If you want to know what the Mr. T experience sounds like, um, just listen to a Green Day album and think, boy, I wonder where um, they got this sound from. Yeah, no kidding. I wonder if there's any bitterness there. We'll get to that, but uh-huh. I doubt it. Probably not. I don't think so. He's anyway, cool. he's had an extremely colorful... Uh, I think a colorful life and an interesting life. Um, and we're going to colorful because of the decisions he's made. Right, he's made some really interesting decisions that we are going to get to. But we're also, you know, and Miki, one of the things that's going to be uh, weird about this one is that this man has been interviewed hundreds, nay, thousands of times. We got to think of something new. No. Okay. We're gonna be. It's going to be something new because he. Has never really. I don't believe, and I did a little scouring before this. I don't think he has done an interview or a long form interview about being a writer. And you know, I have to say, I read King Dork mm-hmm. and loved it. Dude is a writer, and he's a writer. Yes, yeah. it's, it's hilarious, touching, uh, funny, riffy, profane. philosophical, very profane. A lot of blowjobs, in my opinion. I'm gonna have to bongo that out. Really? I don't know. I don't think I have no a BJ. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. Well, it did make me think. Like, wow, this is YA. You can do all this in YA. I'm gonna ask well, about that. Yeah, and the other thing I'm curious about can. with YA, and I just listened to a podcast today. He was on where he talked about the origins of YA, which I think is kind of interesting. Oh, what are it, the origins? It, it didn't begin as what it is now. It doesn't begin with the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> but. That's how my way <laughs> My experience years ago when my child was 14 or 15, I mm-hmm. went to go buy him King Dork. Oh. And thought, this will be a good, uh, you know, a good YA novel. And I thought, well, what are some other YA novels? So I went to the YA section of what was then. Um, Barnes and Noble or something? Yeah, or Borders, one of those uh-huh. giant books way back then, yeah. you know, in those, uh, those old days. And it was a lot of vampires and oh, fantasy so and romance. Mess. Yeah. My and, kids both hate fantasy. I, my, he read all the not Harry the original Potter ones and stuff. Like oh yeah, that. I think they liked Harry Potter. They, they also liked Game of Thrones, Bartimaeus. And, yeah, Game of Thrones. And uh, what was the other one? Um, the something thief. There was something. Oh yeah, the book he, thief. No, it was something else. He got into this stuff though. He doesn't mind the fantasy, which is why ultimately he never did read King Dork when I got it for him. I oh, read because it. it wasn't fantasy. Right. He didn't want to read a punk rock YA novel. Um, so interesting in that way, interesting also that it's clearly a YA novel for boys. I thought about that, but you know, I would have loved this book. Yeah, I'm actually... I definitely would have loved it. I'm curious about your thoughts on that and his thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't think actually it's a book for boys. I mean, it seems like that now because I think we're a little more sensitive to right, right. the position of women. But uh, a thing that happens in art and in literature is girls and women just become the male Oh, in the book. Oh. And so uh, I, and I, when I was a young woman, um, High Fidelity was one of my favorite books. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me as, of how I felt reading High Fidelity at 19 or 20. Mm. If I had read this at 14 or 15, mm-hmm. how much I would have loved King Dork. Well, I think regardless of whether or not it's for boys or girls, it certainly seems to fill a specific need yeah. for a certain type of teenager. And I think Frank was that kind of teenager. I think I was too. How about you? <sighs> Same uh, origins, different outcome. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's hard to say where it goes from there. Is he going to end up being a tech giant or um, or, or or a barista? Or let me say same problems, different solutions. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, similar solutions, like you played in a band and you right. wore a leather jacket and you, <laughs> you know, I mean, we... Hard to tell and now, it's folks. it's hard for kids to understand now. Like, when I pierced my nose and got tattoos in the 80s, I thought it was the most radical thing humanly yeah. possible. I had no idea it would be in the Toledo Mall. I did not know There this. were definitely questions about my sexual origin Exa- when I pierced oh, my ear in 1983. it was such a big deal. Yeah. Dude pierces his ear, one thing. What the heck, man? Remember people would say, is it on the right or the left? Right, which side? Anyhow, uh, full disclosure here, I have interviewed Frank Portman twice over the phone. Did but I there's know this? no way he'll remember it. It was for music stuff. I think this guy's been interviewed a few times. I think he's been interviewed a billion times. I would be shocked if he remembered it. We just met, by the way. You know, we should go find out. Okay, I'm going to go get him. All right, he's probably sitting there cooling his jets, looking around the grotto going, what have I got I gave him a very into? good grotto mug. Oh, good. All right, go get him. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome. Now, Frank, should I call you Dr. Frank or Frank Portman? This is in your literary guise inside these tiny walls. Yeah. I mean, I, my uh, my friends call me doctor. Mm. My girlfriend calls me doctor. I, I, I think of myself as doctor. I've just been – I go by that name. I never particularly cared for my own name. So uh, I will um, – Doctor's fine. Doctor. Love it. We're going with doctor. Is it D-R? D-R. D-R. It's not doctor. Sometimes I spell it with a K. Oh, yeah. Just to get them all like riled up. Uh, It's easier to register. uh, Oh, yes. That makes uh, sense. Oh, yeah. Email and domains and so forth. Origins of the name. Swear to God, you told me 20 years ago it was because you were going to go to grad school and get a doctorate. Uh, That's – well, it's true that I was going to. I have – I've had – I've developed many different – Stories uh, over the years, to because it's a common question, um, and I no longer remember what the true one is. But uh, I was, I recall even as a young kid being called Doctor Frankenstein, mm. uh, oh, and I like so it. yeah, so it could it could go back to that. But I started calling myself Doctor Frank when I was on the radio on at UC Berkeley KLX uh, uh, student station and so that was my air name and then I started the band shortly after starting Mm -hmm. to do that and that's why it uh, that's why I went that way the band of course being the Mr. T experience Which, if you're from around here, even, you know, I remember the first time hearing about the Mr. T experience. So, as I I said before we got on mic, I wrote about music up in Seattle in the 90s. And I remember interviewing a band called Sicko, who Mm -hmm. said the drummer's brother was your drummer. And they said, oh. Bass player. Bass player. Oh, he plays in the Mr. T experience. Well, yeah, of course. I've heard of the Mr. T experience. I hadn't. Uh But I quickly learned, and I did interview you a couple times. And there was one thing I wanted to bring up, but maybe this is a little too soon. But I'll bring it up anyway. You're in charge. I'm in charge. It's my pod. Well, it's our pod. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Larry. Sorry. Didn't mean to put you in a subservient role, Bridget. (laughs) Never. Impossible. So the second time I interviewed you, we talked at length about the idea that you felt not a need but a compunction to do something for kids, for teenagers. And in fact, I had just – Did I really say that? We talked for about 20 minutes about this. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) And maybe it was on my mind because I had just switched jobs. I had been a high school teacher and I had just mm-hmm. stopped and, in fact, was interviewing you from like a soulless office to which I had sold my soul to become. Mm-hmm. And by then you hated teenagers. No, I still loved them. I know. And I felt like I had let them down. So I, I oh. had talked to you about, well, maybe you should become a high school teacher. And you said, hmm, you know, that's something that I would think about. You're probably just, you know, being nice. But in the end, here you are 19 years later, the yeah. author of three successful YA books was the idea to write YA books as opposed to anything. I mean, we're going to get into why you started mm-hmm. writing books. But did that have anything to do with some connection that you feel with that age group? Um, it does, although what, the reason that I that my first book I wrote and subsequent books and probably all the books I'll ever write are teen fiction is because that was the assignment um, <laughs> that I was given. I, the uh, best reason, in other yeah, words. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I like assignments. I like being being presented with a restricting parameters. It's mm-hmm. much easier than not knowing where to go. And uh, the way it happened was uh, that there was a, a fan of my songs as a kid, grew up uh, and uh, turned into a literary agent. And so at around the time when uh, the one of the first YA-gasms, there's been a couple of them since then, but mm-hmm. sort of in the... Uh, mid 2000s uh, he had been trying to talk me into writing things for many years uh, 
every time I'd come to his town, he'd meet me and give me his business card and say, you should write something, you should write something. And I would be very polite, but kind of internally roll my eyes because it seemed so far-fetched. But he said when he started selling a lot of these teen, these oddball teen voice books, he said, look, if you could write a book that has the same sensibility as some of these songs, I bet I could sell it. And then the timing was fortuitous because it was my band's final tour of that phase where end of a tour you usually disintegrate and we had disintegrated we had just disintegrated ourselves real good and uh, I was at a loose end running out of ideas didn't know what to do so I gave it a shot and uh, sort of not really figuring it would work and I think to everyone's surprise it turned out being King Dork which was a which is a, a success and a great book well thanks Love for it. saying so um, and but you know then the so that's the first answer is that it was an assignment. But the second answer is the reason it was an assignment is that I'd spent the previous 20-ish years writing rock and roll songs, um, not all of them from the uh, sort of voice that wound up being the voice of King Dork, but quite a few of them. There's a collection of them that were uh, basically the same guy. Mm-hmm. Same type of narrator. Uh, interestingly, when I started writing it in narrative fiction form, that uh, sounds a little corny, but that uh, taught me things about the the songwriting voice that I wasn't really that I didn't really thought about, and so they, they informed each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, th- so yeah, going back, it goes back to uh, when I was an adolescent myself. Uh, although my writing adolescent songs when I was an adolescent didn't work out so well. I mean, you got you got to rarely. It's hard to do it well, and you rarely can do it well when you're a teenager, um, in, in any form. But I trial and error. You figure it out. You figure out what works. And so I plunged into to writing the novels, having although I didn't realize it at the time, the degree to which was the case, having a kind of a you know track record of working these things out uh, in – you know, the, the songs are not very much like novels. But one thing – one way they are is that uh, you need to maintain a consistent, uh, reliable point of view uh, so that the listener has a, has some idea of what is being presented. And I think that it's a – that's a pitfall that people who write novels also make and people who write songs certainly make where you hear a song and this sounds nice, but what is it supposed to be about? That's very common reaction. I think the, you could have a reaction like that to fiction as well. Um, I think that writing the songs, we have to condense it into a, a character study, say, for first person or third person, um, but a character study into two and a half minutes. Uh, you have to it, you have to be really disciplined to make that work, and uh, so that's a lesson that a lot of people spend a lot of time in their writing classes and in their failed novels and everything, trying to figure out how to do. You don't have any failed novels, though. Well, I mean, it's a relative. Uh, <laughs> relative. You, don't, you don't have anything in a drawer. Uh, um, I have things that. Uh, I am working on that may never get finished. Got it. He legendarily had a file that said novel and decided to say, I will never be able to write a novel. (laughs) That's right. right. Well, here's the part that blows my mind about this. Well, first of all, I see the song thing, especially, okay, POV and the energy that novels often get a little slack. And at least King Dork doesn't. It has that kind of great power moving through the story. But structure, there's a lot of structure in a novel. How did That's you, did you just ask. intuitively have a sense for that? What did you read any That's books? Crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Did you read a book? The, 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 line that I always, that I, the line that I always used to say when I started, it was great fun when I was suddenly a yeah. semi-famous novelist and I was going to all these sort of places that wouldn't have let me in before. You know, I was in these kind of fancy, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and PBS kind of situations. Right now, you're surrounded by that type of situation. I mean, our logo says blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Yeah, man, uh-huh. we suffered for our art. These people Tell suffer. me how you right. suffered. Well, so what I was going to say is my, the line that I, that I would say when I would tell the story, and it's the one that would often uh, anger people who'd been in the in the business for a long time because I just stumbled into it, although there had been years and years and years of right. the songwriting. But, right. you know, I just kind of randomly ha- ended up with a successful book. But I said, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd never – 
written a novel before, but I'd read several, and then you say <laughs> several, and people laugh. So that, that always gets a laugh. Um, but that, in fact, I didn't realize uh, when I started uh, doing it uh, the degree to which the structure mattered because I'd never done it before, and uh, the. I'd, I had the hard part, which is not not the not the not in terms of how much work you do, but the hard part in terms of how it's impossible to contrive, which is a, a voice, mm-hmm. and that's what you know. People right. study; they they try; they try. It's it's a really it's one of those things you got to grab it out of the air, and mm-hmm. if it if it works, it works. But it's very hard to uh, cultivate it, and it's hard to fake it. So I had that, and so I was doing I was doing that like crazy, but sort of whipping it into shape as a novel uh i had to, i think i had to do you know seven drafts yeah, or something yeah and there's a lot of plot also yeah it's not yeah, light there's on a plot. Lot of plot it's like a mystery yeah, it, yeah a mystery. it is a sort of a mystery yeah, well, yeah and the, the and i didn't read andromeda andromeda in fact i can't even say mm, it yeah. <laughs> couldn't read it for sure but uh king dork approximately isn't as much of a mystery no well it's there's there's a more of a there's a there's a moral to it, and there, there's a there's an over, there's an overarching story that is if I ever do wind up writing the the, fourth, the subsequent third, third ones one. uh, is gonna it is a sort of a mystery, but mm. the whole thing is a mystery because you don't uh, it's, you don't right. know where you're going when you're uh, right. when you're 15 years old. So in that sense, it is. But I I you know I didn't. There's another thing I learned from uh, songwriting, which is one of the things that to write good songs, you make it difficult for yourself because if you ha- you write the one good song and then you do it over and over again, there's no justification for for it and it gets boring and you get bored with yourself. So once you've written a few pretty good songs, then you have put yourself, you've set yourself a big challenge to figure out a new take on your own Self and so I, I I felt I approached when I was doing the the, the sequel um, I wanted it to do two thing two kind of contradictory things one of which I wanted to start the second after the mm-hmm, ten the first years written previously one had ended and then I wanted it to have a a, a different a, the same narrator but a different sort of a. a a tone. So the first one was a pseudo mystery, and then the second one was more like a it's more like a pseudo love story. It's like a, a romance. Were you able to just Annie, Hall the voice again? Annie Hall for teenagers. Annie Hall for teenagers. I love it. Um, yeah, I uh, that that is that is the easy part for me. Okay. Um, the hard part is that uh, which which is most people. I don't know about most people, but many many writers will. Have told me that they agree that just writing is the most, most unpleasant thing you can do. So the hard part for me is actually forcing myself to to avoid the anxiety to, to not avoid the anxiety it causes and, and start doing it. But the voice just is once you start it it just comes and it was the same with my second book as well, which uh, I had set that one and that's a. a um, first person from a female teenager's point of view, and everyone, including me, was saying, "Oh, that'll be really challenging." To how do you? I didn't find it challenging awesome. at all. It's just, but but <laughs> you have a thing where you get a the voice isn't challenging, but then you know you got to harness the horses, and that's the thing. You got this crazy chaotic thing, and then you've got to figure out a way to reduce it into a form that some audience is going to be able to. Uh, it's going to be comp- comprehensible to them, and that's the big that's the big challenge. So you're sitting in a, a suite of offices mm-hmm. full of people who realize that they were writers when they were nine years old. But when you were nine years old, you didn't realize you were a writer. In fact, mm-hmm. did you know you were a musician when you were nine years old? <laughs> no, no, I don't know what I, I don't know what I, I thought. Um, I the, the idea of being a writer. I mean, every uh, the, my, creative my, kid thinks my a idea of a, of a of a writer's life would have you know been something I would sign up for. It's oh, like, yeah, you know, totally. it doesn't seem that hard. You just get lots of money, and all Go you do is bar. sit around. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, so yes, if someone had presented that to yeah. me, I was like, yeah, sure, good, sign me up. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's not how. Um, no. how it is to be a writer. So it might have been when you, you know, if you had been simultaneously a writer while being a musician, you would have been sitting in bars writing on the back of napkins. But yeah, it's a little different when well, you're older. I, I, did, I, 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 
other than the napkins. Although I I have written some of the books on on napkins with borrowed pens, but uh, I've uh, most of my the bulk of all three novels were written in bars. Um, Really? Yeah, and and, and that is a first in the Granopod. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, because you have a whole place to go. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. true. People, well, and also, like... I was escaping my home yeah, life. Yeah, you had to, like, I was, somewhere. Yeah. Um, and before, there were cafes everywhere, maybe. And, and, you know, being being sort of three sheets to the wind doesn't hurt when what you're trying to do is uh, get over your... Uh, your sense of uh, self hatred and uh, you know that mm. that voice that says you can't yes, do it. So I, I it was it all it, it it made sense. I, I heard an interview with you where you said uh, the interviewer asked, "Do you have writing advice?" And yours was just start typing. And I think that's yeah. fantastic advice. Right. And it's hard. It's really to just start hard. Typing. It's really that's hardest. why that's why you know you have the blank page, the, the terror of the blank page, yeah. and you type. This is supposed to be a novel, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I'll never finish it. And then you take that one sentence and then edit that till it's 300 pages. Um, that is a possible way to start. As long as you've you got have to start. A, if you have a, a narrative voice and some idea of of uh, what of of a direction that can that can do it, and that's kind of what happened when I well, my first book anyway. But in a way, I mean, you already were a writer; you wrote songs. But how <laughs> describe us how that process was different? How is it different from except that you're holding a guitar <clears throat> yeah. when you're writing a song? I mean, it's a different process in the sense of uh, so typically the way a song gets quote written is I will have a title usually or some conceit some uh some idea that to base it around and i'll just sit there kind of strumming uh the guitar and thinking about it and and after doing it you know it gradually changes and then 3000 renditions later it takes the shape of a song uh the thing that determines whether it's good is whether that first uh Notion is good, mm-hmm. or whether there's any, whether there's enough in there to make it into a good song. That's the way. That's that's one of the ways in which the, the, those things are kind of similar. But of course, the parameter you only have to hold your audience's attention for right. uh, two and a half minutes with a song. It's, you have to hold their attention for a lot longer if they even stick with it. I mean, turning three hundred pages is a, is a big is Plus, a big ask. Music is <laughs> a good motivator. I mean, times. a great lick can carry a kind of lame lyric. <clears throat> yes, but you like. try not. Paul McCartney. You, you yeah. try not to do that. But, of course not. But but. But then there there are other things that are what you know. Once you have the um, kind of the side of it where you've caught the lightning and you've and you've sort of have it in a in a vague form, then there's a subsequent with, with songs. It can take it can be years till you've got it right, where you just sort of chip away at it and replace this line and that line and tighten it up and tighten it up and tighten it up and tighten it up and, it up and reduce the five verses to two and you know and and, and things like that. Um, and there's a similar. Uh, thing that you have to do. It's a similar situation. Uh, it's a lot harder in some ways, but then it's just as hard to get to have to come up with a great song as it is to come up with yeah. a great anything. So. Do you feel like songs are ever done? Like you write a book, it's done. A song, you can keep changing it forever. Yeah. Uh, um, and that is an interesting, that's an interesting thing because I, I, I've always felt, well, that's a similar situation because, you know, your book is published and uh, that's it. There's things you might want to change about it, too late. Uh, yeah. but it's it's too late. Even though maybe not in this world of ours, you know, you could go in and change everything in the electronic world, you know, and Kindle no one would all know, change. right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, but I but the way that I you you it's for better or worse, it's too late. The only thing you should you should think about, I believe, changing are just correcting of errors. Um, I'm very much against. Uh, updating books. Uh, this is something that is standard practice in publishing, but um, every time I come across it when I'm reading it, it just drives me a- absolutely crazy. It seems 
it's dishonest and and sort of a it's not i i wish there was some certification when i was holding a book that it was the actual this is the text cut. that was which you know when i when i came across so many of these things mm-hmm. that were altered um, sometimes trivial, usually trivially, but it's just you can't know for sure right. unless you have the first edition. So, so if you, you uh, I kind of semi-jokingly have decided I was never going to read another book unless it's the first printing. Um, Good luck. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, <laughs> just, just because, you know, because I, I discovered it. This is I, my original answer to this question. I can't even remember what the question was, but I discovered it re- most recently. The most recent time it happened was I was reading um, The Maltese Falcon for the first time since I was in high school. uh, And I don't know why. I just picked it up and started reading it. Um, Same actual paperback that I read back then. But I noticed that the dates didn't add up uh, because I knew – I didn't really think about it when I was a teenager. But now I know that this book was published in 1929. But all the dates when they would tell these – uh, when when Sam Spade would, would there there's the there's these various set pieces where he tells about uh, a couple of things that happened in the past and they're all set in the 50s and 60s mm. and the reason was because they thought some stupid editor but it's all editors think this that it will uh, that it'll that it'll make it seem more contemporary to and it didn't make any sense at all because World War Two had happened it changed in the, book the world that was yeah. reading, but it hadn't happened in 1929 That's so crazy. everything about it made no sense yeah. and it, it infuriated me okay. and okay oh, go ahead no that actually was a great segue <clears throat> to what I was thinking about just sitting here um, and that is that so Sorry, listeners, that was me grabbing my notes as they were falling off my lap. Uh, you write about high school as a universal, timeless experience. Yes. Now, it's I a, try, try, right, try to, yeah. and, it's, and it's a YA book, and we can talk a little bit about the universality and the timelessness of the high school experience, but you include a lot of 80s references in your YA book written in 2014. For example, you use Ramoning as a term for sexual congress, mm-hmm. to use a highbrow term. Because Bridget likes to use highbrow terms, um, I wanna, I'm going to talk about the dissertation possibilities of this trilogy okay. as well. But our kids, are, is a 15 year old kid going to know what Ramoning means? Who the Ramones well, are? He, I mean, Ramoning is uh, is invented by that by that narrator. Kid. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, a guy like that knows who the Ramones is. He's a historian. Um, the, and you can Google there one are second. there are there are, and I suspect always will be kids like that. But the the point. The 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 reason um, for casting the references in King Dork the way they are, uh, it, I mean, it came. I it was I was thought about it very deliberately. Okay, and um, because and this is a, a lesson I learned. I taught myself when I first got my contract. I went into the bookstore and bought all my publisher's books. I didn't realize I could get them for free. I, I went to a bookstore and I bought them because I wanted to check out the competition. And um, I realized that all the references in those books were dated, not in the way mm. like the Ramones, but in the way that you that what I thought about it. Really, okay, these books were written three, four years ago, mm-hmm. and then the publishing process. They're funny. so they all talked about Eminem. They all talked about things like outdated from just like a not that M M&M and M is outdated, but it is far more. The, the, my point is, I was looking is. for something that was classic, would be classic enough, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't do that. So a kid who likes the Ramones, ACDC, totally. Bubble Gum, and hates the Doors, that means the same thing now as it did ten years ago. Yeah, it would probably yeah. mean the same thing in ten years. But I, I don't know what was what was the hit band when I was writing. If I made the character into the biggest like Vampire Weekend fan in the world, you you'd have to do this. Everyone will have to uh, to Who's Google Vampire the Ramones. Weekend, yeah. But the Ramones are everyone has right. a Ramones shirt. The Ramones are a real thing. Right. And uh, and so I I think that is the the uh, the only way to do it because if you try. And a lot of people do do this now. You, when you want to try to be authentic as a teenager, you go and you research what's happening. By definition, it can't be current because your book is not published at the time when you're doing all your research. Right. It's published two, three, four years later. You go, go through all the drafts. You go through the publisher's schedule. So you have to figure out another way to make – if you're writing 
with pop culture references. The only other way that you can think of doing, I did this a bit in Andromeda Klein, uh, is to have imaginary references, right? Um, which is another can be a fun thing. But there, I was trying to get across a particular kind of guy, um, and uh, it's the the music. Uh, references are part of it. I know from my travels, both in the in the mode of novelist, teen fiction writer, and uh, and musician, that uh, these you know oddball misfit rock and roll teenagers still exist. And even when, even if there comes a time, I mean, you could make a case that we're that we are uh, sort of in a uh, at the beginning of the absolutely post-rock world now, even then, the psychological type, uh, I believe, will carry on. I mean, I, I oh, think Oh, it'll that, just be something else. And yeah. I think I think that, uh, that one of the keys to uh, writing, I really don't like the word relatable, but I mean, it, it, but a, a, a character whose um, tropes are readily understandable and accessible is uh, to make them there there are you you there's there's a there's two elements there's authenticity uh, sort of writ large and then there's what you use to get that across and you are limited in mm-hmm. you the way that it that you can do that on a um, on in a in a in narrative fiction the, the only other thing you can do is you can make it a Deliberate period periods, yeah, and and it's going to be that anyway. But uh, I think that um, one of the appeal, part of the appeal of teen fiction, not just to teenagers, um, and one of the reasons why I think books like King Dork get a wider readership is because you're not going for the particular to that degree. There is something like a universal experience of adolescence that uh, that everybody goes through and I mean it's one of the few things that every all adults have in common with each other is that they survived it um, so uh, but you know, getting it right is hard and, and it's not a lot of a it's not for want of trying that you uh, you know there's they publish hundreds of these things every year uh, and um, was it hard to remember not to have smartphones? In the sequel, um, yeah, that was that was another. That's dis- actually one of the things that when I was reading it that I enjoyed the most was yeah. not having that inserted in the teenage world made it so much more pleasant to experience as a reader. Well, it's I mean, this is a thing. And you this you know, if you talk to filmmakers, yeah, and you talk everyone's like, well, how do you get rid of the cell phones? Because yeah. someone right. texting is not an interesting dramatic situation. Right. Even a- when he rides his bike over to see the girl, I thought <laughs> now they just call Uber. Like it just takes all the drama and interest yeah. out the of it. The thing that you do, I mean, that was um, that, that was very conscious decision to do that um, because. Uh, and, and well, okay. The reason you that that can work is because you're not trying to create a snap, a, sort of a, a, a literally true snapshot of some particular time. You've got a, a, a contrivance. You have to make sure that it fits its own aesthetic rules. Right. And so I had this. The I had um, eyes of no cell phones and no uh, no contemporary. References mm-hmm. um, outside of the parameters of a of a of a rock and roll kid. Um, then, of course, um, you know once. Well, they have microphones. the whole we, right? So it's well, in a see, certain was, era for sure. But, but, but that, that was that was also like a you know um, I don't know like was a that was, in itself was kind of a conceit because I was recapitulating all of the scenes in every. Uh, movie <laughs> after school special type movie where they Completely. go through the mic. I mean, I really <laughs> thought it was my teenage life, like well, kind of early mid eighties. Yeah, you know, I, I tell you, I, but I have, I have talked. Hate the doors. I have talked to everyone uh, that. to kids yeah. who uh, you know who were only born like yesterday yeah. who say the same thing. That's so awesome. I think it worked. Um, in but then you know once this whole uh, artifact was created with all of these aesthetic parameters like we're talking about, then you have a thing. And one of the things I, I probably should have anticipated was that this situation that we're talking about, which is ambiguity as far as the the setting, time and the place. time and place, 
angers people like you wouldn't believe. There's like a, I, I, there are some very hostile readers because of that. They're saying, when the hell is this taking place? Well, um, I have to admit. Are you I, that person? No, no. Oh. Not as far as time, oh, but yeah. I don't like made up places. Uh, I'd rather it was in a real place. I figured, oh, it's, it's got to be either the peninsula or Berkeley side because that's where he's from. But it, what were you calling it? Was it Santa something? Uh, well, it was uh, it was the, the, it was Santa Carla County is what it's called. And now where the vampires come from? Um, no, no, not where the vampires no, come from. Different yeah. Santa Carla. Different oh, Santa Carla. That's from Lost Boys. Oh, okay. yeah. Oops. I, oh, I, I, just, I, I just um, I get it, but um, any, the, anyway, the 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 uh, result of that was that. In one of the uh, sort of midway through, um, I turned the the date when it was supposed to happen into another mystery. Like you can figure it out mm-hmm. if you do the math when That's you know fun. the date of this. Call. So yeah. anyway, so some people figured that out, but they they're you know everyone wants to catch you in a mistake, and it's that's so that much not happens to fiction writers. That's so much not the yeah. the uh, <laughs> the uh, the point. Um, but then, so then after when doing the sequel, um, since it was. Revealed uh, oh. if you, it, when, when the first one took place. Once you reach the end, um, I did tie the second one to the dates because I feel like, I felt like I had I'd already already played that card, mm-hmm. um, and then. The same people in the you have, when you're writing a novel, you've got all sorts of interested parties. You've got an agent, an editor, uh, you know, everyone in the publisher, your girlfriend, etc. And they're also well, you should, you should, you should make it like the other one. Make it, you know, uh, an amorphous, unspecified time. And but I felt like I'd played that card, mm-hmm. so moved into a different one. And plus, Y2K is funny. And, oh, very funny. Um, <laughs> And you know, I and and there's a, also the perennial objection that the very common reason the kids aren't going to understand this. But you know, if, if there's ever been yeah. a crop of kids mm-hmm. that have the capability of understanding references to things that they don't know about, this is it. Right? It's you know, it's like, oh my God, what? Why two K? What the heck is that? Well, sure. You've got a phone. You've seconds. got a phone. You you look up. You you know they you look up every single little thing. On right? Because yeah. I just doing the math. A seventeen year old was born after Y two K. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which is crazy. Um, shoot, but that totally derailed me. But I, I was going <laughs> to ask you, Kristen, but I started thinking because they're baby boomers' kids, which has but nothing I to do with anything. When, okay, I just want to say, when I was a teenager reading Rolling Stone, I would have no idea who they were talking about, and yeah. it would take work to figure out right. really? who these old bands were. Or and you know, you go that, to the record store and you'd be like, "I'm 14 and I've heard of the Velvet Underground because I saw it in." But I think Rolling that Stone was my point that the kids. Awesome. The, but you're lucky the kids now. Their parents were the ones listening to these bands. Because they're baby boomers' kids, so they've been, you know, mainlining this stuff yeah. to their kids their whole lives. I've been I've been told that I think is no longer the case now, but I've been told that for the last decade of uh, child of child development with regard to culture, one of the things that has kept uh, rock music alive is that. Uh, Guitar Hero game. Oh, so a lot of the, the, like everybody yeah. knows. Don't stop believing. Everybody knows all yeah. these songs but that from when we were sick. kids. Like it makes me crazy. My kid that my knew kids some pretty thinks, crazy. Yeah. He knew like an Almond Brothers line. Right. Right. You know okay, Almond song, Brothers. Okay, right. but like the revival of bands like Journey for Come kids. On, man. No, no, no. We're not going to go down. I can't that. separate one from the other. Well, In it's what all sense? old rock. Almond Brothers and Journey. You're making me so angry right now. Well, it's a small room. Don't um, if, if you, if you, I mean, the, the, I, I, I agree. Love the Almond Brothers. That don't stop believing. It's re, it's revival. Uh, it's oh, it's as a as a as a, as a as a as a preteen anthem is super weird and uh, interesting for that reason. Well, I can't explain it, but. Oh, it's because I'm clear. Well, anyway, it's, so right. So the, 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 the one, you know, you pop culture gets away from you and ships mm-hmm. into these. But the thing is that when you're writing a book, you are you you establish what the the world is. You establish what it's the box that you're operating in, and then you do it. And if you there are things you can do that are that will uh, make it difficult for your audience and things you can do that will make it less difficult. And as long as you have that in mind, um, this is the thing from going way back to your original question. I think the reason why I mentioned this is that one of the other things that I learned from songwriting that I definitely used to, uh, to, uh, that was to the good when I applied it to writing the novel is, and I felt, I felt like I want, I needed to reward the reader enough for turning the pages that I wanted to have one good joke 
every mm. three pages or so. Oh. And um, you got it. You you're, a song without a punchline is a lot harder to pull off. You have to, if you, especially if you're doing the kind of you know singer songwritery clever-ish, Tin Pan Alley-derived kind of punk rock songs that I've tried to do. If you, if you're, if you do it, if, if you have a setup and you have a, a strong conceit and then you don't give it a big punchline and then twist it around with another one, you missed a big opportunity. And also, it's, it's just not that interesting. So um, I, th- that's something that I learned, that the songs where I did that were the ones that came across better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's rewarding the reader, rewarding the listener. That's what I was getting mm-hmm. on originally. I like that. Very nice. And that's its own, I mean, that's its own technique. Like, you made it up yeah, in a way. That's something you're bringing to and writing that... That may have really helped you in terms of moving the engine of the story forward. It, it, it did. I'll tell you another thing that um, actually this is one of the uh, – um, I have – this is something that I just stumbled on that really works. And I, when I've, I've looked at other people's writing when they've been uh, you know working on things and this suggestion always works for them too, which and it's the same – it, the kernel of it is comes from songwriting, from the, this idea that you you start out with a puzzle, um, some kind of uh, a title that is incomprehensible till you've listened to the song and then it makes sense. And mm-hmm. when the have when you're kind of at the end of the the first course and go, oh, that's why that that's why it's called it. That's like a little that that is a pleasurable thing to experience. So um, if you have your characters. Uh, uh, establish um, a, a, a quirky individual kind of uh, vocabulary that is like only that explained subsequently, and then and then once once it then it then uh, the reader is in on it, and then you can build that into their interaction with other people who don't who aren't in on it, but the reader is. So um, in Andromeda Klein, for instance, uh, she is hard of hearing and um, always mishears what people say and then uses the thing that she thought she heard as the actual word. So for instance, the word uh, the word um, bathroom sounds to her like vacuum once. So then subsequently through the rest of the book, she refers to the bathroom as a vacuum. And it, and so the reader knows this and the reader can decode it, but other people in the novel don't know it and can't decode it. And um, there's something really compelling about, uh, about being complicit with the, right. with the writer when you do that. It's a simple thing, but it really works. Yeah, it creates an alliance between the yeah, readers that's and, exactly. and the main And it makes the reader exactly feel smart. Right. And wait, do I remember right? Was there a glossary at the end of King Dork? Yeah. yeah. Approximately? Yeah. Okay. King Dork, too. Um, so you were around at the beginning. <laughs> the Berkeley, beginning. Berkeley punk rock-wise. You were around at the beginning of all that, and you've played in front of people for a really long time. There's one thing I've always been dying to know, the friends I have that are musicians versus the ones that are writers. When you play in front of a bunch of people, you know, regardless if you're a massive rock star or a journeyman or whatever, you get instant gratification. You get 500 people. Yeah, if you're lucky. Eventually, you get 500 (laughs) people cheering, 500 people who think you're hilarious, who think everything you say is just you know, straight from God. It's really different as Sounds a writer. Yeah. <laughs> Let me sell it to you. Um, it's really different as a writer. You know, maybe yeah. you know, it's easier now, I guess, because you get comments and you get tweeted and stuff. Yeah, but but uh, I would I would imagine for most writers the negativity on the on well, the yeah. online far outweighs the the, yeah. the the you're a god type ad- adulation. I'm I'm speaking about Goodreads right now, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so. Um, it's a different kind of a way to be as far as if you, you know, once you've got your, your product mm-hmm. and then you're the face of it and you're trying to, to present it to the world, it is, it is quite different. Um, you're, uh, uh, and there isn't, I mean, at least in my experience, I, I think, you know, things could change if you're some really, really big star, if you're Lemony Snicket or someone like that, where you have, you're at a genuine celebrity. But for there isn't a, a sort of mm. established parameters where you go out and present your book and everyone's really happy about it. Usually right. it's like, oh, God, not this again. And, you know, because that you're not 
you're, uh, I guess, you know, Dickens performed his works, but, you know, most people can't do it. You know, but you it's do like, different yeah. kinds of readings, don't you? Don't you do reading and playing? Yeah, I do. I, because one of that the, is smart. Yeah. because I put their songs in the books so right. I can play the songs. That's way more interesting. Way Just more standing interesting. there reading is not interesting. Um, but still, it's not like people are that interested in what you're mm-hmm. doing, you know, and, it, and it's because reading is not um, as we have it now. It's not a public um, act. Mm-hmm. And write, writing certainly isn't, but, you know, reading is something you do, you know, on a cold, wet Saturday on the, you know, like huddled a in, a, in a, you know, on the couch with your yeah. dog at your feet and your cat mm-hmm. in your lap. It's not the sort of thing where you all join together to express your collective adulation of this thing, <laughs> although it, it certainly could be. But for most of us, even people with a, you know, moderately successful books, it's not like they're just like... like knocking down the the doors to be in your presence so they can collectively tell you what a great person you are. Well, Bridget here is writer famous. (laughs) According to Larry. (laughs) Uh, But that's why Lit Crawl at Litquake is so fun. Because there is this sort of celebratory feeling and it's in bars. People are drinking and people are happy to be there Mm -hmm. and it's an event and there is something just very pleasant to be a writer in those circumstances to be surrounded by people who want to be there and are not there to buy your book they're just there to listen to yeah it's definitely more of like a rock and roll show yeah it's nice i like it i was gonna say funny coming from a guy who i've heard on a podcast say you spent most of high school sitting in your room listening to records alone yeah no that's true (laughs) however i do want to go back to high school because i heard you've been interviewed a lot yeah you have um that you you worked in a public library yeah. in high school and worked in the children's oh, yeah. library and read them from A to Z. Read right. the, did you actually get to Z? Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah, small that's, room. That's awesome. Okay, well, so um, do are there ones that that you know moved you, changed you that you still think oh, it was pretty damn good? Oh yeah, um, although none of the books that were in the in that collection. Mm-hmm were very much like the the kinds of books I write. But yeah, uh, you know, this is an, I, I, what I, what I probably said in that interview is that I have a comprehensive knowledge of what was called young adult fiction right. then, which we're talking, you know, 78 through 82. Um, uh, and, and before, uh, it was a lot different from oh, the yeah. way it is now. It was a, it was a, uh, you know, it, it's now it's a marketing category it's that bears, bears little resemblance to yeah. the, it was the, the young adult YA as a thing. It had to do with it was part of it was funded by the Great Society to a degree. It was a, mm-hmm. it was a public uh, encouragement for um, some kind for a, for cultural material aimed d- devoted to. Uh, you, you know, younger than how you usually think of, of why, mm-hmm. why now. I'll, but I'll throw out some books. I really yeah. like the Ellen Raskin books. I still like them. I still read them from time to time. Uh, the Pushcart War. Oh, I love um, Pushcart War. Yeah. The, the Teddy Bear Habit. Um, I, but I, I, I read – when I did this project of reading from A to Z, it was – it was largely anthropological. It was also, I mean, I had a job which was sitting in an empty room. Nobody ever went in there. You didn't have a so smartphone in here. All you were I in did, the children's room. Yeah, <laughs> so for hours, that the, you know, I had to sit at a desk. That's what, that's what I did. Um, was And I got a lot out of it, even the ones I didn't particularly like. I like the, the Zilpha Keatley Snyder books of those she wrote about kind of spooky things. Mm-hmm. Uh a black and blue magic set in San Francisco. Uh, um, uh, there's a central scene um, uh, with Monkey Island, which is no longer there. But I don't know Where if was that in the zoo. There was this oh. big oh, hunk of concrete with all these monkeys on it, um, and uh, it's black and blue magic because he has a, some ointment that allows him to grow wings, so he can fly. But he's not very good at it, so he keeps bumping into things, and that's he's always black and blue. <laughs> but he winds up on Monkey Island in one of these. So the, I uh, made a big impression on him. Yes. Haven't, haven't, uh, haven't. Maybe you should get them reissued. Since. But. Um, I, I think I think those are still in print. E. L. Konigsberg was a oh, very yeah, very yeah, good. Um, uh, the one about the the one George in parentheses was about the about a um, I don't know if you call it schizophrenia about a person with a another person in his mind uh, was really um, really effective. I mean, you uh, there are some really fine examples of literary fiction in that uh, in that world, um, and there, as there is now, but it's a it is a 
it's just a bit different. It was, it seems to me, it was a little more, a, a little less pop culture, a little less, uh, a little more art for art's sake in, oh, I feel in, like that too, yeah. those, in those days. And what sort of stuff, I mean, aside from projects where you're reading all the children's book, what sort of stuff did you read when you were in high school? I know you didn't read Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you I had think, to. Yeah, you we were forced to read Catcher in the Rye. I love uh, There's some line about there's only three books you read in high school over and over again. That's yeah. my experience of high school. Yeah. I read like three books right. ten times. Yeah, they are the same three books they would have. Then you'd get the, the, pearl, same, one, the same one. You know, they hand them out. And, right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, I was always attracted to uh, um, kind of, I realize now looking back uh, to uh, idiosyncratic voices, um, uh, you know, the, I, but but all there were, it was all the usual stuff, you know, the Raymond Chandler, uh, Patricia Highsmith, I read, mm. uh, I read a lot of, uh, Patrick Hamilton, I really, uh, Hangover Square, was a really big, um, uh, big uh, point of importance, um, and I read lots of science fiction because I was a, a nerdy guy. kid. Yeah, me too. I read tons of sci-fi. I didn't do the sci-fi, really? and I, I actually so liked Catcher in the Rye. It's funny because my kids, I like it better now. That rebellion worked for me, and actually, we didn't have to read it. My sister uh, gave it to me once. Thinking you might like this. I don't remember when I read it. I read a lot of stuff. I was an exchange student, and. Uh, there, in the library, they had an English section, and only American and English authors were in the English section. Mm-hmm. So I read all these American authors that I would never have read before, and I think I might have read it then. But none of them, I mean, there weren't YA the way we think of YA. Oh, this wasn't YA. I mean, I read like Tolkien Corbin's books complete. were YA. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the, the, what is YA. What is YA? Is kind of it's like what is punk? It's well, like you're it's a, a YA expert now. You yeah, got three YA books. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, in that sense, it's meaningless to say. I mean, it, you know, I can say what YA is now. Mm-hmm. They a, say lots of people read it's it. It's a marketing category, exactly. Right. That is uh, that has been uh, uh, remarkably successful as a as you know the publishers are able to to present this material in such a way that makes mm-hmm. lots of money in in certain but cases. But I had told so. I had told Bridget in the intro your book, and, and I'm interested to hear to follow us up who your competitors were when it came out because my, when my kid was 14 I went to get him King Dork and we went to the YA section in some massive you know Barnes and Noble type of deal and it was all you know vampires and right. dragons and right and so that's a, that's the side that's the side of it that is yeah. not they, they I mean they've got all of these different subcategories. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm hilariously. What's your way, subcategory? Realistic fiction. I knew you were going to say that. I like that. that. So yeah, which is which just always always makes me. Laugh. But but um, the thing there was a I when King Dork came out, uh, there was a projected one of the reasons why it was easy to sell it. One of the reasons why my very sharp agent knew that this was the thing to pitch at this time was that. There was a sense in New York that the thing, the coming thing for this next season was going to be um, uh, uh, the male version of Teenage Chicklet because mm-hmm. the female version was Dude, was yeah. the time. That was my editor actually it, it described it that way. Um, and the, the male smart-ass narrator uh, – that there were a lot of books that were being sold around that time. Mine, mine was one of them. Uh, you know, uh, John Green's Looking for mm. Alaska came out uh, the year before. When was Sherman Alexie's The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian? Is that uh, YA? That, that was, I, I think of it as YA. That, 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 was, that was a... But it's similar. It, it has YA, a kind of smart-ass, sort of nerdy outcast. But the thing is that we say, yes, but when you say YA... That's why it doesn't make sense. Well, is that YA or is it not? What makes it YA is the imprint. It doesn't. Yeah, it's like I a, a Catcher in the Rye was an adult book because right. it wasn't a YA imprint. Right. I'll tell you um, uh, the perks of being a wallflower, yeah. which is uh, kind of a classic of of the certain type of adolescent YA movie. book. That's an adult book. Well, Even though it was MTV books, but it's the, Im- <laughs> right. it's the imprint. It's like it's this sort of esoterica of publishing that makes not much sense other than – a very in a very important sense was a way of move, moving units, which they figured out a way to do, which I'm glad that they were able to do. I'm not going to call that into question. But the thing, there isn't, I mean, there isn't a, it's not a genre. 
um, it's a marketing category that includes many, many different types of things. The dragons, the the vampires, vampires. the the dystopian, um, right. you know, series and King Dork. It's they're they're part of the this uh, this marketing uh, aggregation that uh, that for whatever reason is how they choose to sell these books that they've had some success doing. Well, congratulations. After 30 years of people asking you what's punk rock, now we're asking you what's YA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I have a similar, I have a similar, I, I've always had a similar answer to, to punk because I don't think punk is anything. But uh, Speaking of punk rock, yeah. so you put out a companion album to go with King Dork approximately. Yeah. And was that the first time you had written? I know you hadn't put out an album in a long time, but was it the first time you'd written songs in a long time? Um, no, but... Uh, the 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 explanation for uh, the because there was a there was a a gap of not that I wasn't writing songs I was writing fewer songs and I wasn't really doing anything much with the songs I was writing um, that's solely because and maybe part of the reason why I started writing the novels was going to the gig that to the best gig because the music industry collapsed right, in, 2004. in 2004. Our band's last album came out in 2004, uh, took everybody by surprise. The fact that, you know, behind our backs, everyone decided, Hey, let's not buy records anymore. So we were in the middle of the tour and it was like, Hey, this is, this tour is going great. This, um, it's how, how are the sales? Well, the sales are about zero because nobody was buying things. So the music industry club, there's not a coincidence, not rocket science to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So then the, the book idea, um, kind of saved my bacon. I had something to do. Yeah, what else were you going to do? Grad yeah, school? Right. Well, um, I'd given up on the idea of that uh, long since by that time. So yeah, I was running out of ideas. Uh, but um, the uh, you never stop writing songs, and I, you know, I would uh, maybe I got a bit more uh, selective as far as what I would put the effort in. Um, on the, the songwriting, but I was gradually collecting. I have a, I collected enough songs for uh, if I ever get a chance to record future albums for the material for the, over the last ten years. You gradually acquire them, um, but there is a the, the one thing I, despite the fact that conceptually and sort of in a perfect world, I think of the things, the song, the songs, the rock and roll, and the books as part of the same thing, the same overarching uh project the fact is that when you are that you i have not found that i can do the, those things at the same time mm. they are almost like different people doing them so when you're fretting over a novel you don't write any songs and most fretting over a novel takes years and years and years uh so that cuts into your songwriting time so it's not like sure. a break from novel writing like oh, i'll just go work on songs for a while yeah, i mean you you can say that but it, it i it's a completely different state of mind different uh uh psychology um which is one of the reasons why uh it took this long to uh manage the thing that basically happened uh, with the last book and the, and the album because it was something I always felt would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. But it's one of, one of the reasons. There's a lot of things you have to make happen at the same time for things like that, to, for, for that to, to make uh, sense to do. And so you, I usually, I always, I put out something um, with each of the books, uh, but it wasn't anything substantial. It was the best I could, you know, Andromeda Client had a theme song and I put out a seven inch of it. And there were songs in King Dork that I did some very poor uh, acoustic recordings of that <laughs> were, you know, downloadable and were awful. And But I always had this idea if I had a, if in, in, the, the, in a perfect world, I would just, my book would come out and the album would come out and the, the TV series and the comic book. and all. So we didn't get the TV series or the comic book. We, we did get the album and we didn't get them at the same time. The album didn't manage to get that till, uh, till you got the paperback. Till the, the paperback. Oh, yeah, because I was, saw things where people bought, got one with the other. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a, a there, so it was a digital album. There was a, a download got code got in the paperback copy of the record that took some doing uh, mm. as far as b- between me and the publisher. Um, but uh, then it's only just now that the physical 
edition of it oh. is coming out. So this is a years long project now at this point, and we're do- we're also doing uh, an addendum to the album, which is a, a seven inch that's two more King Dork, approximately the album songs that we've designed the packaging so that this seven inch fits into kind of clever way into the you haven't seen the packaging yet because it hasn't quite come out but uh the uh so the the way i look at it now um you this could go on forever and (laughs) and and one of the things that the collapse of the music industry i will not going to say that it's positive in any way other than the fact that since um commerciality is almost completely irrelevant you can do stuff like right. that yeah, because there's no point in doing it in the first place. <laughs> so what's the oh you're I gonna think you're books gonna are going the same way a little bit. Could, yeah. uh, eventually, I mean, the, the, the same. I, I don't know if they'll go the same way completely, but the the same pressures that uh, were uh, exert, exerted on on the on the music industry will be felt in all areas of uh, of content. Providing and and they are being felt now. For I don't sure. know if there's going to be a collapse to that degree or or what form it's going to take. But it is. I mean, you know, I mean, Hollywood's in trouble. Uh, one book publishing has been in trouble for a while, but it's been masked. Um, ironically, um, a lot of these publishing houses are kept afloat by what? by why the YA oh. Um, oh. Indus- because because. Because like, teenagers yeah, still really? teenagers right. still buy buy books, yeah. and there's still an uh, an infrastructure that um, that uh, fosters it, which is schools and libraries, and they they've done a very good job in cultivating the habit of reading. I've heard um, another. Oh my theory, God, it's amazing. Yeah. Another theory that, that um, uh, whatever the now they're they're adults, but the generation of kids that, with um, Harry Potter because they were. Uh, they were trained from small, from being small children, to carrying around these big hardcover books. Meaty books, yeah. And and that, that and to that, wait for the next and book. That and seems, to, that seems yeah. more. I don't know how. I don't know how true that is. But yeah, you can if you look at. I mean, you know the 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 really big, huge, huge titles. Um, their their sales just dwarf any adult I'm fiction sure you know true, it's yeah. like i mean you got to go to dan brown or something to get come to come close and most i mean as you you know anyone will tell you uh uh the poss- the the potential for selling a lot of Adult literary fiction. A lot of copies is very, very small. It's I mean, shocking. Yeah, yeah, the numbers much. are shocking. Yeah, yeah. It's a con- it's that's a constant theme around here. Yeah, um, sadly so. We're okay. almost out of time. But what do you got? Well, this is oh. fun. I was just going to say that when I was a kid, everyone was yelling at me not to read, and people were always oh, saying go to you, really? "Stop yeah. reading! You're wasting time! Play. You're so lazy!" And then something happened where it was the like highest form of virtue was to read. Hmm. So I don't know what happened. I don't know. So. Um, as we wrap it up, I want to congratulate BQ and I for not geeking out on Mr. T experience. I know. We were good. <laughs> but no, we're not going to ask about Green Day? No, nah, you can ask oh. that off. No, I just want to know what you – are you working on the third King Dork book? What are you doing I'm now? Working, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of two uh, two different works in progress. That mm-hmm. I, got the, I, I got the idea from um, – from Rosemary's Baby where there's a – where uh, Rosemary's uh, – um, Sort of older gentleman friend Hutch wrote, writes boys' adventure novels, and he has a typewriter on each end of the room, and he goes between the two books. So he's that's writing. how you're writing it. So yeah. that that was kind of how I thought I'll do two at a time. Oh, so you're not writing um, something, Rosemary, ba- Rosemary, baby? No, no, no. I just, I just, Tom I just Henderson thought, okay, I'm going to. Got it, got it, got it. I got so I have a, I yeah, maybe. King Dork Abroad, and right. then another King one Dork. that's that's unrelated. Is to King Dork Abroad going to be a spy novel? Uh, that is the it, the, not a spy novel, but you know how I said how the first one was pseudo mystery, the second mm-hmm. was a pseudo love story. Pseudo, pseudo, pseudo international intrigue. Pseudo. Like <laughs> Important parts all pseudo. Man of mystery. And are you touring? Is the band touring? Um, not touring per se, uh, but we have started playing again. We're sort of uh, being very selective about what we do, so we minimize the chance of disasters. But it's mostly like weekends, mm-hmm. weekend fly. We're, we're going to New York and Philadelphia in November, uh, just four shows and, you know, just – in and out and quickly, you know, trying to avoid the uh, inevitable burnout that happens mm-hmm. when you do a bunch of shows. And can people um, find that on your website? Yeah, um, I, I'm easy to find. 
just if actually you just search for King Dork, it'll it'll uh, reach me easily. And all of the, I have all the different things. I've got a a blog. I've got a website. I've got a Facebook. I've got a Twitter. I've got all, an Instagram. I've got all that stuff. They're all under various permutations of Doctor Frank with a K, aren't they? Um, yes, but if you'll find it very easy to to just search for me and get it. Just under King Dork. Sort of his brand. What a great yeah. thing to have as your brand. I know. It's true. And, have, and finally, do you still live in the same apartment you've lived in since 1983? Uh, no, um, but I live in the same apartment I've lived in since 94, maybe. 94, wow. 94. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, it's it's I'm trapped I was going to say, what are the alternatives? Rent control. control. Yeah. I, like I, a lot of it, people I know. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, I would, I, I, would, I, I would love to be able to. To escape Oakland, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, it's and, it's the know. new Brooklyn. Don't fight it. Just grow a giant beard. That is something yeah. I've considered. <laughs> BQ, how can they find you? Uh, Larry, they can find me at BridgetQuinnAuthor.com or at BQuintrust on Instagram and Twitter. As for me, of course, you can find me at all places as that Larry Rosen or www.isitgoodforthejews.com. Calm. Is that real? That's my other oh, podcast, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, as for us here at the old Grotto Pod, uh, at the Grotto Pod. Are we going to um, thank our on, producers? Oh, we're, I'm, I'm interrupting cool you. Jets, yeah. Oh, I don't want to. Uh, Facebook <laughs> slash Grotto Pod. Send oh, yeah. us email at thegrottopod at gmail.com. Tweet at us. Tweet at us at the Grotto Pod. That's yep. about it, right? Go, go to uh, the iTunes and download us and uh, subscribe. Yep. All right, tell them who produced the show. Okay, it's Lee Kravitz, Beth Weingartner, and Lori Ann Doyle. Thank you so much. Hey, and also go to Zazzle and buy T-shirts. Oh, you can yeah, do that. You guys. Yeah, we need to post that more. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs. That's enough from us. We're all very hot in here, oh so BQ, so take hot. us home. All right, friends, read, write, and just keep working. Keep working.